Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Well, welcome to episode five of The Stand for First Time Through New Eyes on Castle Rock. My name is Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is my first time through The Stand. Uh, and this time we are going to be going through chapters 41 through 50. Uh, wait. Yes. Which is about 300 pages of text here. Was I supposed so... to read chapter 50? Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't. So, so this is actually 40, through 49. 49. <laughs> it was just so much. It was. And now that I'm looking at it, like chapter 50 is another <laughs> 40 pages. Yeah. Ah. Um, we were talking about this earlier. We really wish that we would have retroactively put the last two pages or last two chapters. Yeah. 39 and 40 mm-hmm. with the last episode or 41 and 42 with the last episode. But, you know, hindsight. And those are the end of the, that book. Book one. So let's just we'll jump right into the recap then. So we start with chapter forty-one, which is Larry and Rita, mm-hmm. uh, and they are riding motorcycles going through. Um, and uh, Larry wakes up one morning. He goes through and he goes back to have a good old American pastime with Rita. And Rita has committed suicide, and it might be accidental. I think it, accidental suicide. So either way, whatever. She's passed she's, on. She's, she's dead. Dead. Um, and and she's another one of those. Immune but unable to cope people, you Mm -hmm. know, and we've talked about previously about all the pills that she takes. So anyway. And I think it's, you know, we see through a lot of this now that like we're establishing almost a new society. We're starting to see that people just can't hack hack survival. Right. And some people need more society than others. And, you know. He gets this little, at the end of it, there's this little like feeling of uh, he's being followed. Yeah. And that's really all that we get. And that's the end of chapter 41. It's very It's the only short chapter. It's the only. (laughs) Well, 49 isn't too long either with Lucy and Nandy. And that one's pretty okay. Um, Now we get into chapter 42, which is going to be when uh, Harold, Franny, and Stu all. They connect here. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Man. I know. This is a long section and a lot happens. Um, We're moving forward quite a bit. But yeah, so Stu is eating his lunch. And he's just sitting there, yeah. He's just sitting there eating his lunch and he hears other vehicles. And, you know, we've talked about before, it's quiet. There's no traffic. Mm -hmm. There's no just drone that we are so used to having. He hears them miles away, he talks about. Right. You know, and, and. because sound sound carries if there's not a lot of other sound. So it's yep. really... So we end up... Uh, Stu ends up connecting with Harold and Fran. And as, and as everyone can guess, Franny ends up falling in love with Stu immediately. Uh, and so Harold gets super jealous. And that's pretty much... We watch uh, this little love triangle play out for th- like 10 minutes. And then Stu is eventually like, listen, I don't want your girl. Have her. And then at the end of the book, he's like, actually, I do want her. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think he, part of it is, is that he figures out real quick that Franny is not Harold's girl. Franny is Franny's girl. And, you know. She says it right, he says it right off the bat. Like, you can't own a woman. Right. And then, um, and that's just how we end book one. The 394 first pages, the first third of the novel um, is book one. Now we're going to On the Border, book two, um, says it takes place until September 6th. So it's going to be a long summer, it seems. From July 5th until September 6th. Yeah. So, uh, 
So no, in chapter 43 is where Nick, Nick meets, meets Tom, Tom Cullen. M-O-O-N, okay. that spells Tom Cullen. M-O-O-N. Uh, Tom Cullen is cute and adorable and he's really nice. Yeah. Uh, the book gets dated a little bit in the way that it talks about. Uh, it does. And like mental handicaps. But I think that also that's just language that has evolved in, you know, right. 50 years. Like, there's, And that's why it's so cute to me that he's with uh, Nick, Nick. Because Nick can, has the same thing. He just can't communicate. Yes. And so it's just Nick the entire time is like, I can't communicate. He can't communicate. What are we going to do with each yeah. other? But, but then like, they end up becoming best friends. Yeah. Like, and you can just great. tell. And like they rely on each other to the point, and then they get to the, the tornado. The tornado, it's, oh it's my a good gosh, section. that is so. Mm. I mean, it makes you feel like you're in. Yeah, we'll talk oh, about that too because so when he gets down in there, and like all these like little moments where they're just being watched are so fun, and mm-hmm. like the crows keep coming in more and more now, and like yeah. they're always pointed out. Um, and then they meet this uh, woman who turns out to be awful. Um, I have Julie. no. I will not be surprised that uh, Julie, Julie Lawry. Yeah. Will for sure be in Las Vegas. Um, there, like, and I think that's going to be the thing too. Is we're gonna we, all these like small little characters and, and that we've say, seen throughout the novels. And you say woman as if she's like an adult. Oh, she's she like is fifteen not. or four, fourteen she or fifteen. It's just like. barely not a kid. Mm-hmm. She may be sixteen or seventeen. She's young and ugh, mean. And she's real mean, and she pretty much um, basically forces herself on him. Yeah, and then at the end of that chapter, we meet Ralph. And Ralph, like, you don't really get anything you about him. You just, you just know his name. And, and But and it's really cute because Nick has spent the entire time fantasizing about this random trucker that's just mm-hmm. going to drive by and pick, pick him, up. him up. And then at the end, and then it happens. Ralph Brentner picks up. And I think that what's nice, too, is you see these in the same way that in the next 350 chapters, we're going to see how the devil favors the trash can man. We're going to also see in the same way that, like, the holy side is also favoring t- uh, Nick in that way. Right. You know, right. he avoids the tornado. Uh, there's He got beaten up that badly. Like, there's a lot of things that he has done to avoid death up to this point that aren't equal to the trash can man because the trash can man is putting himself in harm's exactly. way like that. Yeah. Um, but then he gets his dream literally answered, just like the trash can man will yep. get, gets his dreams answered. Um, then we get into chapter 44. And this is the Larry, long Larry chapter. It is. A, um, lot of, a lot of things happen to Larry. He's thinking a lot, too. And I think Larry ends up becoming my favorite character through all of this, if I'm being honest. Like, his character development through this novel is amazing so far. Mm-hmm. It's going to only get better, too. I know it. Because he's going to come down to these personal sacrifice choices where he's going to have to make them. And it's going to be so hard for him. And it's just, I'm really but, but looking this, forward to Larry. But in this section, you kind in this chapter, you kind of get the idea that even if those things are hard, that... He's he's probably gonna do the right thing. Mm-hmm. He's been he's thinking about how he's changed himself and like these things, and he realizes that he's being followed. And then out of nowhere, we get this chapter from a brand new character. We never think the a, a, a section within the chapter. It's mm-hmm. not even a. It's, it's not, not even a new chapter. chapter. Yeah, and I think it's because it's in the same chapter because it's just the same story from a different point of view. Yes, and so we meet Nadine and this uh, small uh, child named Joe. Then, and we essentially see that they follow Larry all the way to almost the ocean. Um, and they're going, uh, unbeknownst to them, towards Stovington. And not yet? No. Yeah, yeah unbeknownst to them, they are going towards, towards Ungunquit. And then they yes. go towards Stovington. Um, yeah. So Larry ends up, and it's interesting throughout this chapter, you pretty much hear of Larry being a detective and exploring the relationship of Harold and Franny from like what he had done for her and all these things. And Larry and context ends up, clues. Context clues. And Larry has this admiration for this person. Mm-hmm. And it's 
interesting that we're seeing and this an image. He's got an image idea of who of, Harold is. Of who Harold is, and yeah, we'll find out later that you know. And eventually, uh, Nadine and Joe come, and they uh, Joe tries to attack Larry, and he ends up stopping him. And um, they're not like on any good terms at all. But then he shows Larry shows Joe that he had a guitar, and mm-hmm. there's while they're sitting on the beach one night, and he plays some song, and Joe ends up falling in love with the guitar, and it forms a lifelong bond, like an just... immediate bond with them. Mm. And and you know, it it kind of gives Joe, who up to that point really couldn't express himself Mm -hmm. he was not using any words he was just angry and and aggressive and it gives joe something he carried a knife um and gives him something else gives him a a a different release and so and you know nadine's been taking care of him how is that gonna make nadine feel and just we'll talk about nadine a little bit more later on but like her introduction is weird she mm-hmm. just comes out of nowhere. She's spouting kind of like nonsensical wisdom about like the future almost and like mm-hmm. what she knows she has to do. She just immediately gives you an air of. Uh, she's weird. Yeah. Or like not just like that she's weird, but like she's like trash can man special. Yeah. yeah she's this like level of like. Outside of the. Of, just immune. She's like more special than immune and like yeah. in the way that she's written yeah, about. Like she exists in, in a different plane than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's established really quickly really quickly like just the way that she talks and she it's interesting that she was a kindergarten teacher and all of these things mm-hmm. so then we go through and that's pretty much it they go to Ungunquit, they find the sign that Larry, uh, that uh harold had left up which i get why it's awesome now and smart but <laughs> in the moment and i mean later on we're gonna see like harold and Stu get in the middle of a gunfight and like Imagine right. I mean, if those people would have right, found the no, sign. And, and I know, and yes, there are pros and cons to the sign, but again, they are very optimistic people, mm-hmm. and they they feel like they're going to find authority at Stovington, so they want other people to have that too. So anyway. Yeah. Um, and then during this, we also meet a character named Lucy Swan, and she doesn't do too much. She's pretty okay, though. She's kind of... Uh, you know, as we get through these chapters, we start picking up these characters more yeah. quickly and quickly. Yeah, we're going to have a whole lot of people, and we we keep the focus on the people that we have been keeping the focus on, but it's less of just like six characters now. Kim is pointing at all of the highlighting in this pre-owned copy of the book that she has, and uh, makes her very angry. <laughs> makes me very sad. Um, and it's funny because it's all in chapter forty-five, and it looks like what's mostly highlighted is a lot of the biblical stuff that's mm-hmm. in this novel. But it's also really important to establish who Mother Abigail is. That she this brings is, people together like this that. This is the chapter where we really learn about Mother Abigail. And we learn that she has been bringing people together her whole life. This is not something that is new and unique to the yeah. apocalypse. This is, you know, she, she's been bringing people together in her area um, for her whole life, since she was young and and objectively, newly... she is a badass. She, she is. goes I and mean, she takes like a twelve mile life. walk, and I she goes and kills walk twelve miles. She goes and kills some uh, chickens, 
<laughs> That's not true. I know you can. You've done marathons. Um, but she goes and kills these chickens and then just falls asleep under a tree. And she's like, oh, man, I slept all night. I better get these chickens back for my company. Right. And she's also been having all of these dreams and stuff. And it just kind of informs us that she isn't controlling these things at all. She isn't like some magical prophet like Randall Flagg is. Right. She is just someone that is able to she's gather a, people. She's a tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this really cool scene where she ends up being surrounded by weasels. Oh, yeah. Um, that's so great. And it's just, it was really interesting. It has a good lithograph in here. Mm-hmm. And throughout that chapter, um, we meet a lot about her. And then eventually, uh, Nick and his cohorts all uh, show up on her ranch. And yeah. they're all there. They get a CB. And we find out that they've picked up Ralph. They've picked up an Olivia. Gina. A Gina. A Dick. Um, I've picked up a bunch of people and they all look to Nick for advice and guidance. Nick is right. the leader Nick of is, this group. Nick is the leader. Nick, who cannot speak yeah. and cannot hear. Mm-hmm. And every been... time they're like, you're in charge, he's like, I guess so. I guess. And, and he's young. <laughs> mm-hmm. And remember, because he's only 22. But you he's know, the one that's been but, telling them that there's the a one, random woman right. in the middle of Nebraska who's 108 years old he's that we have to go to. Yep, he's the prophet. Um, and then we get into chapter 46, which is another incredibly long chapter. 46 and 47 are kind of two chapters of the same. They're the same. Uh, Time frame. Yeah. It's all Franny and Harold and Stu. Stu. And then and their crew that they are accumulating. Because on their way back through, they pick up Glenn, um, who Stu had left. Mm-hmm. Um, because Glenn was like, nah, I'm just going to stay here. But if you come back this way, check out, check out. I may... I make him along. And what essentially we get is chapter 46 is the day-to-day, what it's mm-hmm. like for the, that group and, like, what it's been like for them to living. And then 47 is the next part of the story and why it's important. Yes. So 46, we see a lot of, like, we've been traveling together. We met Glenn. We've all been having these really bad dreams. So we've been drugging ourselves, except me mm-hmm. because I have uh, the baby, so I don't want to do it. And they're just – it's a lot of – None of it's exposition. It's more, it's when Glenn Bateman's there, it's philosophical, like waxing. Yes. It's just thinking about the situation and what could happen. Right. Um, and uh, then right at the end of that chapter, uh, she has her first dream of Mother Abigail. Uh, or not first dream, but she has the dream where she learns of the name of Mother Abigail. Yes. And then uh, during all of that, too, we're just reading these sections of Franny's diary. Because, and it's because important because. Franny is trying to make sure that she remembers the before times to tell her baby about it. And she's trying to normalize things, too. And trying to normalize things, Um, And during all of that, just Which we've already established, that Franny needs that sense sense of of normalcy. Yeah. Um, And one thing to just establish, too, is she is really, really, really mean to Harold in her diary. Yes, she is. She is ruthless in her diary to Harold. Yes, she is. Um, Like, it's like... yeah, um, but we'll get into all the details. Well, not all the details. I, on that, but yeah, we'll Franny talk about is it. not the best person, in my opinion. See? She's that's why Franny gets a lot of hate. Yeah. Um, and also, I was reading we're a part. Both of us were a part of this book club uh, group on Facebook about Stephen King's books, and somebody was talking about how in the new Stand miniseries they were really upset because Franny really turns down uh, what's his or Harold ruthlessly in the series, and she was like, "That's not fair." Franny was really nice in the book. She did it all like politely and blah, blah, blah. and I was like. No. Did you like, actually read the book? Awful in the <laughs> yeah, book. She, she like literally like not to it, well and I think what to makes be fair, it even though, worse is, is she is not awful to him directly. It's behind she is his awful back. awful to him privately and she tries to keep up, you know, uh the two faced appearance around everyone else. Right. Like, well and because she knows it'll keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And you know, Harold's not 
not a prize. I mean, he's kind of a jackass. He's so... definitely he's smart, but he's a jerk. And yeah. like that's not the type of person you want to surround yourself with. Right. Um so then after all of that and we've found out their dynamic, we've learned like about them and everything, chapter forty seven happens and it's wild. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um they turn come around a corner and they all of a sudden get in a shootout. Truly the, the turning point for Harold, I'm thinking. Harold's going to, I think yeah. Harold, Nadine. Um, the chocolate fingerprint. Um, so then chapter 47 and we have all of, uh, yeah, so they come around to the shootout and then they end up uh, taking out these group of guys who are essentially, um, you know, they were being pimps. They were doing exactly what a modern day pimp does is they get, uh, they were getting these women hooked on no, drugs right. and then forcing them to sex and then forcing right. them to carry them around. Right. Um, yeah. And just. So it's you know, a less, it's, like, financially, like, gainful version. Well, and this is, goes to Glenn's story that there are going to be some really horrible people that survive, mm-hmm. too. You know, Glenn's theories that some horrible people are going to survive, too. And, and, you know, it's important that we need that, that we need to know that. And they go through, they get through the, that. Uh, we hear more of uh, Franny's diary. Um, and then we get to this point where... Uh, Franny writes in her diary about how Harold came on to her and um, then she pretty much was like, no, thank you. And then the next night or not even the next night, like literally hours later, she goes and she uh, goes and has sex with Stu up by the rock. And then she tells (laughs) this is the worst part about this part. I hated this so much because she just goes, I guess I love you. And she goes, I guess I love you, too. And it's like, that's. That's, like, the big, like, worthwhile. That's why you were writing all of this romantic chemistry. And, like, that's why you wasted all of this time on this romantic subplot is for that subdued, meaningless I love you. Well, I... And then she goes, I'm pregnant. And he goes, well, well, what? You're pregnant. Well, let's not tell anyone. And it's just, like... It's just, I get that they're both just struggling to, like, find some sense of normality and, like, regularness. And And honestly, the reason it happens is because on the very next page, it tells us that Harold is sitting there watching them in the darkness. Right. Um, So, a lot of Because Harold's sneaky. Mm Mm-hmm. Really sneaky. Yeah. And so, he ends up uh, going. The next day, he goes in and uh, starts to... He next night he goes and sneaks into her and he steals her diary and uh, starts reading through it. And also, I don't I want you to know that uh, there was nothing about a chocolate fingerprint on this yet. So I didn't know that. Oops. Foreshadowing. Edit that out. So then chapter 48. And like, okay, yeah, it's just wild because like it's just all of a sudden. This is a lot. This is a lot. Where we jump back to the trash can man. Five in the preface, ever. in the preface, Stephen King literally says, "I'm so happy I could include the journey of the trash can man." And the entire time, I've been wondering what he meant by that, and now I know it's this chapter. Yeah, it's got and like, and it's like some of it's in, pages. It's literally something like that, and it's its own novella. And it kind of is. Yeah, it's. Uh, it could have been its own side it is, story. It, it is from seven. Or five seventy five to six twenty nine. Because the so only thing you need pages. is him getting in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't really need the do, kid. You but... don't need the rape. You don't need the wolves. And like, it's cool and it's interesting. Uh, like story wise, that like we're watching him control these wolves, and then like the wolves are like, and it shows us how important Trashy is. Right. But but there's a lot here that we don't necessarily <laughs> need. I do enjoy the Trash Game Man a lot more now. 
Yes. A lot more at yes, the yes. Uh, because once he gets into Las Vegas and he starts like especially when he meets Lloyd. Yes. And like Lloyd's just so established now and sitting up mm-hmm. at the top of this throne and like everything and just like in charge of things. Not literally a literal throne, if, but, like a metaphorical but, right, one. Right. And it's just like, wow, a lot has happened for Lloyd since like since he Randall like got saved him. Broken out of jail. Yeah. And essentially, uh and I think like another thing that you had pointed out the first time we talked about Trashy is it's it just it goes out of his way to point out how many times he should have died. Mm-hmm. He crashes his bike and breaks his, like, has a fractured skull. Mm-hmm. The He almost gets completely burned up by paraffin wax. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's literally, like, only survives based on, like, pure luck, it says. Then he gets picked up by this guy named The Kid. And The Kid... Uh, the Kid is terrible. He's, like... He's... Really, really awful. Like... Yeah. It's surprising how bad of a character you can make and, like, that quickly. But it's the moment that he picks him up, too, you can just tell he's not a good dude. Um, and he's just this race car driver and he ends up taking him up the mountains and then a lot of stuff happens on the mountains and essentially Trashy ends up flipping on him because the entire way up the mountains, he's been talking about how he's going to kill the dark man and take over and Trashy's like, I don't think you should be talking like that. And then at the top of the mountain, the dark man's like, told you you shouldn't be talking like that. Mm -hmm. And then Trashy ends up being in Las Vegas. We meet Harold or not Harold. We meet, um, we've already met Harold. We meet Lloyd again and we meet a bunch of, uh, People that have been having these dreams and been told to get to Las Vegas. And we start to realize, uh, this is the chapter that made me realize that there's going to be hundreds of people that are going to be showing up in, like, Boulder and in Las Vegas. Like, there's going to be lots of people everywhere. And, I mean, it confirms it in the next chapter for me, too. But I was starting to get this idea, like, oh, man, like, they're trying to, like, rebuild a society to go to war with each other, essentially. Kind of, yeah. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we get, uh, we've been hearing about these uh, crucifixions that have been happening in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And so during this, we find out that they've been happening because people have been breaking the rules that uh, he is setting down. Yeah. Uh, that Randall is setting down. So then they end up crucifying people. And Trashy ends up finding a place that he loves and he's at home and he ends up meeting Randall Flagg and it's happy and it's great. And he's there. He's, and I really love this. The last quarter of this chapter is awesome because mm-hmm. I think the Trash Can Man. And Lloyd and Randall are a cool little, like, trio. Like, mm-hmm. that's a fun, like, villainous trio. But we like, didn't need 54 pages. <laughs> Maybe 15. <laughs> and it's also, like, it really feels like it went out of its way to, like, make me, like, really want the trash can man to succeed and be happy and, like, that kind of stuff. And, like, it's another case of him really humanizing a villain in that yes. moment. And, like, he goes out of his Which way to also, do... Which is also, I feel, like, kind of important that... It's with Lloyd now, too. Right. It's like, you know, you have a little bit of kinship with Lloyd because you're like, I'm happy you got out of that situation, but, like, you're going to be awful now because of it. And right. so it's the same thing with Trashy now. It's like, you know, I'm glad you got out of the mountains and the kid, but it's only going to make you worse. Right. Yeah. Whereas other people that have those things, like Larry, who's went through the tunnels, and Rita, mm-hmm. like, they've become better from it. So we're right. seeing those... The way that those hardships are changing characters. Then we get into chapter 49, which is the last one that I read because I thought I was supposed to stop here. Um, And it starts off with Lucy and it's like, oh, interesting. And they talk about how they're getting their CB radio and they're going to start communicating with people. And then they hear from Boulder, uh, Ralph, Nick's friend. Mm -hmm. Um, So they know that they're going the right way. And so Larry, Nadine, Joe, Lucy, and they've gathered up like 30 people, it says. Yes. So they have a big group of people now. And that's... You know, again, as they are traveling, they're, I mean, everybody, you're establishing that everybody's having these dreams. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're all kind of starting to work the same way. And so the groups are accumulating and picking up and. 
and uh, Larry, essentially we find out someone had died and Larry's really, he's become the de facto uh, leader of this group, essentially. And uh, I'm, everything I was saying about him, like wanting to be in charge and everything too, is 100% wrong. He is like, right? please don't ask me anything. I don't <laughs> I want to, I don't want know. This. Please leave me alone. I'm, I'm glad we got to this part. No, I you love were saying Larry. That, I, Larry I is like, really my favorite character Larry's now. Larry's going to surprise you. Larry's <laughs> easily my favorite character now. I like him so much. And... Uh, Except how he tries to have sex with everything that walks. I mean, That's one of my least favorite things you know, about him. But yeah, I mean, but he is—he's still Larry. So I yeah, mean, that's, that's Larry. That's part of. Unfortunately, and that's part of who Larry is. So Larry, we find out Larry and uh, is really into Nadine, but Nadine does not reciprocate for some reason. And like he can feel, he's like, I can feel Nadine wants me. She just can't for some reason. And Lucy is like, it's okay, I love you. And he's like, it's okay, I love you, I guess too. And then we get the end of this chapter is from Nadine's point of view, and we just find out that Nadine was like, she's got all of this really weird like symbolism and things that are happening to her and then she's like and when i was 16 i almost got caught by the dark man and that's when i knew i had to save myself forever and like she's essentially telling us that and then we find out she knows who randall flag is right. like it's not like a random person and she's been waiting her entire life unbroken to finally like birth his child and that's why she can't have relations with larry right. and that's where i stopped reading We've got a lot of feedback hoping to hear about what we were going to be reading next. That way you, our dedicated listeners, can be reading along, reading ahead, and being prepared for what we have coming out. So, without further ado, the next book to be read after the stand is... The Gunslinger, also by Stephen King. Surprise, surprise. So if you haven't yet, go out there, pick up your favorite copy of The Gunslinger. Let's see... Why, why are you throwing guns when you could just shoot the bullets? These are the big questions, Steve. Let's find out. If you haven't yet, please make sure to check out our Patreon shop. Coming soon with some new updates and even some exclusive merch now that Kim got a cricket for Christmas. Chapter 41, Larry. So Larry and Rita made it out of New York City. They mm-hmm. picked up a motorcycle, tent... Mm. oversized sleeping bag they did they did the the rest of their prep stuff they didn't they got the stuff that they didn't want to have to carry out of the city which absolutely made sense you know got everything together and and moved on they're moving up the coast they're headed towards new england and maine they want a summer house on the beach whatever um they're gonna chill for a little while um they made it to bennington vermont on the fourth of july and you know larry got up and Went to the bathroom, did his things, and went back and found Rita dead. You know? Um, And we talked about it a little bit in the the recap that, you know, Rita was just not equipped for this. And Larry was, I think, uh, ignoring the fact, ignoring the warning signs. Willingly. He knew, will, yeah. like, he was willfully ignorant of mm-hmm. the, the warning signs because he knew that she was still taking the pills and she just took too many pills, vomited, absolutely, and, and died. So Larry moves on by himself. Um, and, you know, so now Larry doesn't have anyone to take care of anymore. So it, it's, it's just really... 
we can see Larry kind of fall apart now. Oh yeah, he's Larry's really kind of held like, his, his his things together while he had somebody else to take care of and to but, focus all of it on. And mm-hmm. through all of this, we really just start to watch him deteriorate yep. to the point where when he's sitting at the end, he's hears these boot heels and everything like walking down the road, and he's not sure if it's real or not. And yeah. we as the reader don't know if it is the dark man like chasing him or not. And I mean, right. we get that sense that it always is, but. Well, knows. And is has he had the motorcycle? Does he have the motorcycle? Yeah, he has a motorcycle. Yeah, he has a motorcycle. Yeah, and he so, stops riding the motorcycle. And he stops riding the motorcycle. Yeah, so he, he just, just starts, he just falls apart. He gets so scared of everything now because he realizes how fragile it is to be out here in this moment, to out in the world in this moment. And I think it's going to be such a big major catalyst for him too. From this point on, yeah. is him discovering Rita dead, and pretty much knowing that if he would have been doing better, he probably could have saved her. Well, and I think there's also part of him that realizes that no matter what he did, Rita was self-destructive. Yeah. And he can't save everyone. And he can't save everyone. Yeah. And it really sets up Larry for what he's going to do for Nadine and Joe. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's he's not going to be the person that's just trying to, like, take and, like, hold himself together for them. He's going to actually be trying to take care of them. Right. And it sets us up really good on... uh, Larry's chapter, and it shows us, it really, Steve goes out of his way to set up how important healthcare is taken for granted nowadays yes. in that chapter, too. He it, talks yes. about uh, just getting his hands, what is it, scraped like that. Right. And he was immediately like, oh, no, like, I have to get back to you, and I have to take care of this, or else right. something and, bad could but, happen. But what if, you know, my, my accident wasn't that bad, but what if it had been? Mm-hmm. Then I would be one of those casualties too. And, and the entire time he doesn't, he talks about how he doesn't go over 20 miles an hour on his motorcycle. Then we're going to go right into Stu in chapter 42. Um, so, yeah, Stu, um, at the end of the last uh, section. section, Stu had met Glenn, crashed at Glenn's, invited Glenn to go along with him, and Glenn said, Nah, I think I'm just going to stay here and paint and, and do my thing. And so Stu goes ahead and moves on without him. And is is continuing to move towards the coast. Um, and as he's sitting there having lunch, he runs into Franny and Harold. Mm-hmm. And to say the least, this is not how you expect the meeting to go. But also, you can't expect it to go this way. The moment that Franny and Harold see Stu, Harold gets really defensive. He immediately assumes Stu's going to try and rape Franny. And... It's not in a way that he's actually looking out for Franny. It's in a way that he's being owner. He's showing ownership right. for Franny. He's being really possessive and of he's, her. He's just saying, "This is mine. Don't touch her." And Stu pulls him off to the side, and he's like, "Listen, she's a woman. You can't own her. But right. also, I'm not going to do anything." Right. And Harold, like, pretty much is like, "All right, I'll watch you this time." And yeah, I mean, it and really it just, sets up a harsh love triangle. It really does, and it kind of speaks to again Harold's real uh, immaturity and and just he's so young. He's mm-hmm. only sixteen. I mean, he's he's a baby. I mean, I think about when I was sixteen, and and I didn't know squat about squat. I and thought I knew everything, but oh, I didn't know. It's anything. so interesting too because the way that Harold and Glenn and uh, Franny treat him is what's going to enable him to keep acting the way that he does. Yep. The way that they put him in these positions of like, what do you think? Like, give us your opinion. It's so important. Yeah. It's like only going to feed into him being like, you need to be listening to right. me. Right. And they, and and I think that they, th- they think that they're doing it in a positive way. They mm-hmm. think that they're trying to 
um, help him feel like he's a feel part like of the he's group. important and a part of the group, and it just it's just and all it ends up doing is just blowing his ego up a little bit more, right? And but they talk about uh, Stu's on his way, or Harold and Franny, of course, are still on their way to Stovington. They haven't gotten there yet, and right. Stu's like, "Man, that's a waste of your time. We don't need to go there. I just came from there. It's really not a good place. Everybody's dead." And and Harold just calls a, calls him a liar. I mean, yes, they just met, but he has no reason to be hateful to him, except that he's another dude. He's immediately, like, off the bat hateful, too. Right. To the point where he says, fine, well, if you want to go with him for any, I'll leave you alone. And he, like, tries to, like, leave and Stu goes after him. And he's that's when they have that yeah, conversation. Yeah, that's when they have that conversation. It's just really... And now that I'm looking back on it, too, it's so telling that this is the end of book one. Like, mm-hmm. this chapter is the end of book one because that Harold, Harold is going to end up causing the biggest schism in this group now, I see. Like... Just the way that they're setting him up with these, like, the dual gunslingers and the jilted lover and everything that they're doing. He's doing a really good job of setting up Harold to, like, have to make either a conscious bad decision and change that archetype of himself or to have to come to a head and make a better decision to be a better person. Right. And I think that's what it is. Stu says Harold has the makings of a fine man deep down, but But is he going to make some decisions? actually be able to decide to be that? Right. And that's how we end it, book one. Yeah. It's pretty much on the precipice of all of these character decisions. Larry's just watched Rita die. Stu has to pretty much keep the peace between this child that's going to pretty much be the death of him and this woman that he's in love with now at the first sight, I guess. Um, well, and- I mean, and, and he talks about that there's just something about the way that she carries herself that is attractive to him. An and independent, strong woman. An independent, strong woman. And, you know, that's that's a type. <laughs> mm. She was mean. But, anyways. Chapter 43. The start of book two. Oh. Yeah. This it is... said there was a dead man laying here, and I was like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. But this is the introduction of Tom. And it's great, and he's cute. I love Tom. I love like, Tom legitimately. Cohen. He's so good. And Nick, it just... Any other character in this novel would have been so dismissive and mean and like, this is a handicap and something that's going to pull me back. I don't know that they would have necessarily been dismissive and mean, but I know, I don't think that they would have been as... Excited and accepting. Exciting, yes, excited and accepting. You know, I think that they would have taken care of Tom, Mm -hmm. but I think that it would have been in a... Out of like a guilty resignation. Yeah. Whereas Nick is like actively like, I'm so excited I get to see you, Tom, and like take care of you. Yes. And it's just, it's adorable and cute. And Nick talks about these moments where, uh, well, it's really like Tom has these moments where like he just stops like outwardly thinking and he like puts all of his brain process inside of his head. Yeah, he stops outwardly expressing. It's like he just, it, it reminded me of Annie. Like, he just turns off and his brain's just working. Right, right. And he... But in a positive way. uh Tom is... He doesn't have enough capacity to have a conversation and be expressive and do all of those things and 
have the cognitive reason. He can do one or the other. So he'll stop and then so do one stop. and then he'll come back. And yeah, it's right. there's these really cute moments where like Nick will be pantomiming something and he'll just like stop dead and think about it and he'll go, oh, you mean this? And Nick will go, yeah. And he'll just be so happy and he, he figured it out. Yes. And it's it's neat to see his... It's really nice to have these good, nice, feel-good moments yes. in the middle of all of this. And then the best thing that Steve does is he's building you up with all of these things and it's so nice and sweet. And then, uh, do they meet Julie first or is the tornado first? The tornado's first. And then they decide, uh, he's like, Tom, do you want to come with me? And he's like, yeah. So he comes, they get all ready together. They get a bike for him and everything. And they start heading out of town. And then immediately, almost as soon as they head out of town, there's a giant tornado. Right. Because they're in, you know. Kansas. Kansas. You know, the tornado by the belt, I think. Right. Yeah, tornado right. Alley. Tornado Alley. And and it's July. So that's when that happens. And mm-hmm. so, you know. And they can't and hear they it. they can't hear it. They can only like. And you can just. And like the thing is too is. It's not there when Tom Collins starts, like, pulling them out or anything. Mm-mm. Like, he, like Nick turns around to look for anything, and there's no tornado. He can just hear, t- like, he just sees Tom shouting tornado and trying to, like, bike into this uh, field. field and go over to this barn. And you can just tell that, like, Tom is just an experienced person that has lived in Kansas for a while. He's probably yes. seen a couple of tornadoes. But two, if... Nick is going to be a prophet of some sort. It makes sense that he has somebody else with him that is able to pretty much like make up for the things that he lacks. Right. And that sixth sense, that hearing and like Well, and it's important that you know, Nick probably saved Tom's life. Mhm. And because Tom wasn't willing to break into the store to get groceries and he wasn't he would eventually willing, just starved. he would have just eventually starved because he was he didn't want to break because the rules. He didn't want to break the rules because he was he was simple-minded and he knew good from bad and he wasn't going to do anything that was bad mm-hmm. or that he perceived as bad. So, you know, Tom, Nick saved Tom's life and in return Tom saved Nick's life because Nick wouldn't have known. He he wouldn't. I think he saves his life twice in this section yeah. too. He wouldn't have seen the eventually... tornado until it was too late to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. He may have been able to get into a ditch, but probably not. There's a couple of sections in this too that make me really realize that he's also chosen by God a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the tornado comes through, and they have gotten down into this storm cellar at this point, right. and they've shut themselves down, and it's like dark, 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 damp. And there's a dead family in there that had already like been down there. Right, like and the family thought that they could maybe get away from the in the super storm cellar in the storm cellar. But it didn't make much sense, but it was interesting. But maybe, I mean, and they're sitting in there, and they hear the storm go away. And it's just pure dark, and it's so suspenseful. And then out of nowhere, Tom just bolts. Right. And he can't hack being in there anymore. And they run out, and he's just saying, there's somebody in there with us. And um, it talks, Nick says that he sees these, like, little red eyes. Right. And so we know that, I mean, it's Randall Flagg. But it also right. could be, like, one of the emissaries of Randall. It could be a weasel or a crow right. or a wolf at this point. There's so many different things that he's controlling to, like, do. And Tom even says that, Someone sent that tornado after us, and then they came down in that tornado. Mm-hmm. And that's why it came over the house like that. And what's interesting, too, is they say talk about how the tornado came over the barn, tore the barn up, but their bikes were fine. Yeah. So it was very targeted, very specific, like it was transporting and, and somebody to a place. Mm-hmm. They're I mean, very really weirdly crazy. picky. Yeah. Um, and Tom's just convinced that there was someone in there, and they like, let's just go. And they leave and don't think about it much anymore. Right. Um. And the rest of this, uh, and then, oh, this is where they meet Julie. Yeah. Oh, 
So they're going through Oklahoma, trying to get to uh, Mother Abigail still. Tom and uh, Nick are. And as they're coming through Kansas, uh, they stop at this town. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. What? Nope. I just read something on that. I was... But I'm good. Okay. Uh, they stop inside of this town, and they go into a... Uh, what is it? Well, a grocery they, store? They, um... It talks about them traveling, and they find an orchard... And it's, you know, it's early July. The apples are there, but they're not ripe yet. And Tom overeats because Tom is uh, Tom. Okay. And because Tom doesn't understand and Nick tries to get him to stop, but he, but Tom is Tom and Tom is going to do what he wants. Um, and so. Uh, Tom ends up eating six of these like grant or these crab apples and he ends up getting are, diarrhea. Right. Because they're not ripe yet, and mm-hmm. so they make him sick. And so they stop in the town. Rexel. No, Rexel is the name the of the drugstore. You know, Pratt. Pratt. They stop in Kansas. Pratt. And they go into this Rexel, and uh, inside of there, there's this uh, small redhead girl named Julie, mm-hmm. who's trying on perfume, and she's terrified the moment she sees Nick, um, and then. She turns on this like it's a it's a charm of getting what she wants. Yeah, and it's it's really it's like often it for her it's like a switch. Mm-hmm. You know, she's scared. Are you a ghost? Well, and then of course he can't. Nick can't communicate, can't so she's just getting her, frustrated so and mad getting, at him now too. Right. And essentially, he tell or he writes down like I'm. Uh, Nick, I'm uh, deaf and I'm mute, and we're going to Nebraska, and he just. Nick's so trusting and kind. He's just like, do you want to come with us? And she says, sure. Uh, And then she forces himself on him uh, right there in the middle of everything. She undresses him. And she's like, all right, we're going to do this now. Uh, And he's like, okay, uh, what? Right. Then they go back out. And uh, Julie immediately starts like, um, first words in is just mean to Tom. And immediately Nick is like, what? Nick talks about how. So he he went into the drugstore to get. Pepto-Bismol for his diarrhea. For his diarrhea. So that's that's important because now, you know, Julie comes out. And, and so finally, Nick can actually tell Tom things through a, through a person who can right. read yeah. and speak. And so, you know, there's got to be a little bit of hope. hope. And then she's just not. She's hateful and mean. And she doesn't and shut up. And she doesn't shut she up. She only talks about herself the entire time to the point where Nick's like, maybe I don't want to go with you. And, uh, or no, she says some joke about how she doesn't want to go. And Nick's like, I don't care if you do or not. And right. she gets so upset that he doesn't want her. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially where it all comes from is she just gets so angry that she isn't purely wanted at all times by him. Right. And I think that that's just kind of going to become Julie's characteristic that we're going to find out uh is that when she doesn't get the things that she wants like it's just like she's, she's mean worse than like you would have thought when you yeah. met her the first time too so they go back and uh so she he he gets the the pepto, pepto and then they go back to and tom they go back to tom and instead of helping like you know a normal person would do julie tells tom that the Pepto is poison. Yep. She says, that's right, Tom. Don't drink it. It's poison. And Nick just looks up and gapes at her. 
she starts laughing a little bit, and then Nick just stands up and punches her. Yeah. Well, he smacks her right across the face as hard as he can. And it, what is the most well-earned smack of any person in this novel, I think? Yes. She earned that really well. And she gets really upset, and she starts crying. And and she, calling them both names. And, and she's just really awful. She threatens them. She runs off. And uh, he wrote up, he, write, he pulls out a notebook, and he writes down four notes. And she goes, all right, I'll read it. I'll read your crappy note. And it's funny because, like, Nick grabs her by the back of the head mm-hmm. and puts the note in her face, and it just says, we don't need you. Yeah. And he throws her and, like, lets her leave. And... He goes, he realizes that that he turns to go and help Tom, but Tom has already ran away. Mm-hmm. So, like, that entire, everything about that has just scared him off now, too. So, he goes to find Tom, and as he comes back, um, Julie had went back to her house. She's up in the hotel window, and she starts taking shots at them. Yep. Scariest thing about that is Nick can't hear the shots and doesn't right. know anything, and he doesn't know until... A bullet comes past his cheek. And, yeah, and almost hits him. You know? And then in yeah. that moment, he realizes they're being fired at and they run out of town um, just trying to get away from Julie. Mm-hmm. And they're running out of town. And that's when they it's fun because like we were talking about, he's right. had these well, dreams and, and she sabotages them. She oh, she cuts the their bike tires and bike everything tires. Too. while Nick goes to find Tom. She cuts their bike tires. So now she has Tom finally knows Nick's name. That's one positive that comes out of this Mm -hmm. um so but she has sabotaged them to the point that they have to leave on foot because they can't stick around where she's at um you know they uh moved on uh to great bend kansas and um or they kept walking. They were moving on towards Great Bend and so they could finish re-outfitting themselves. It was a bigger town, so they felt like they could get what they needed. But then, in, on the afternoon of July 12th... Where? Oh. Oh, and then on the afternoon of July 12th, they get their fun, their fantasies answered. Mm-hmm. And Ralph Brenner shows up in his uh, Chevy pickup truck. And he scoops him up and he says, Howdy, boys. Where are y'all going? Let's see if I can get you there. Yeah. And that's just how they... That's how it ends the chapter. And, you know, it just, you know, Ralph's a good old boy and he's going to help them out. And, of course, there's some hesitation because of the experience with Julie. But Mm -hmm. something about Ralph was just, okay, well, I think it just goes back to Nick's trusting nature. Yeah. He's truly trying to find the best in people and he assumes that. Nobody's out there trying to do bad things right now. Right. Which is interesting because then we have Glenn on the other side of it. It's just like everyone's out here trying to do murder. Mm-hmm. Which is how I feel also in the apocalypse. <laughs> uh, I would be so scared in the apocalypse of everyone. So we get into chapter 44, which is going to be our big, giant Larry chapter. It is a huge Larry chapter. And the nice thing is there's not a lot of breakdown and stuff. No, uh, but this is just, this is a lot of Larry just cracking up you know it, well i think he, it's the existential thought that he needs it is and, he hasn't and had it, time to just sit and think and like wonder about himself and who he is and what this is going to make of him yeah um, and it's that weird sliding perspective again too you know he because he, he doesn't he's cracking up so you know his thoughts are real jangled about whether or not he's in the present and or in and the like past it's written that or, way too yeah. you know we get like two days in the future then like a day behind and then what happened right after rita left and we have all these different timelines and what happened in get. california yeah. and you know so and 
during this, like we were talking about, we get introduced to Nadine. Mm-hmm. And Larry's in, he has a lot of interesting inner monologue, and it's mostly just him traveling, though, alone and trying yeah. to get through things. And I think it's interesting. One of the things is he's the last one to have the idea about riding a bicycle. I just thought that was fun. Yeah. Uh, he, had a, he had the idea to ride the motorcycle immediately, but, like, took him days of walking before he was like, oh, I could get a bike. Yeah. Um, I would have some, contr- you know, much more control yeah. and, and still be making better progress. But he, and he recognizes that he is sick. He has got to get, he's got to get it together. He, he does finally realize that he's completely cracking up mm-hmm. and he is body sick and mentally not well. So he's I mean, he's just not been regroup. eating a lot either. He's he hasn't been, been able to find rations and he's well, just. Well, he's not been able to look. He hasn't wanted to look. He hasn't wanted to look. He's I don't just think it's that he couldn't find anything. He's just state. right, right. And he, it gets to a head where we're introduced to Nadine almost at the exact same time as this very mysterious woman that's just watching him, mm-hmm. and he collapses near this house, and he ends up sleeping there for a day right. and a night, and right. he wakes up almost perfectly revitalized, which gives us another hint that he's a little bit of a God's chosen figure too. Um, cause I think that that's going to be something that we see is just the sleep seems to be almost restorative for our main heroes. You know, yeah. mother Abigail sleeps for a day and a half and doesn't mm-hmm. even eat her food or water or anything, but all of a sudden she's magically feels so much better. Right. Um, something about like transmitting those things through the dreams, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Larry ends up biking along for, I think it's three or four days with Joe and Nadine following them. And these two characters as they're introduced are. We learn nothing about them immediately. It's just that it's a boy and a girl following him, and the boy has a knife, and the girl has long white hair. Black hair with a white streak. I thought it was all white. No, not yet. No, uh, it's all black with a white. It's turn. It's going to start turning all white. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and they are keeping their distance. They don't want Larry to see him, and the entire time, Joe, the little boy, Joe is, is feral. Mm, Joe he is, is feral. Scared. He's he is scared. Doesn't and know. He doesn't. But, but he's definitely been on his own since the super flu mm-hmm. and now we're you know three weeks in basically three and a half weeks in and you know obviously this kid is by himself and and he's young we don't know how old he is but he's young and so he's an exception he's immune he's immune and he's an exception because he didn't immediately die by mm. not being able to take care of himself. Um, and then Nadine adopted, has adopted him and is, is taking care of him. So, you know, um, as he, as Larry gets to Maine, finally, vacation land, <laughs> um, he decides to stop and confront the people that he's known for several days are following him. He knew that they were there, but he was waiting on them to... Do something first. Do something first. And he's finally just like, I cannot wait anymore. I've got to know what's going on. And so. um, He sets up this little area and he stops his bike and then Joe comes running out after him. Only for Nadine to be coming out after him yelling, Joe, don't do it. mm -hmm. And Larry's just like, he's going to come kill me. Oh, my God. I didn't expect that. What am I going to do? And he ends up just, you know, he catches the boy's arm and kicks him in the tummy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's four or five years old with the knife. Like. I mean, he's, maybe he's eight or nine. I mean. Yeah, he's a little kid, but he's got a knife, and you mm-hmm. know he's gonna kill him. And you know maybe Larry's an adult, but even an adult's gonna defend themselves from a kid, especially so, in the apocalypse. Especially in the apocalypse, and these feral kid and a pair of underwear and a knife, and that's it. So, 
Lady, uh, Nadine comes out. Mm-hmm. She convinced, They both convince Joe to let go of the knife eventually. He okay. takes the knife and throws it. And at that point, Joe, Nadine had really gone out of her way to talk about how that was like Joe's idol. Like it was his little like safety Security blanket. blanket, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, what's the demo? What is that? Oh. Oh, okay. And then this is like where we get into these um, moments too, where Larry's just like throwing in these sections of being in the different uh, in the LA again, yeah. and it's just like out of nowhere. And then we get interrupted with Nadine, and it kind of like once Nadine introduces herself, he gets refocused again from that point on. Yes, and we really see it in the structure of how the chapters are written, in fact. And Nadine is introduced. Hi, I'm Joe, and she just has this. Uh, I knew I was going to be following you. I've had to be following you. So don't ask questions about it kind of vibe. Right. She really is not answering any of his questions. She doesn't want to give him information, but. Yeah, she's real private. And Larry's enamored with her. Yes. And. Because he's Larry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) True facts. And they start talking about Joe and like what that means. And they're talking about leaving him. uh, And Larry's, they're like, no, we're not going to leave Joe. Uh, And. Essentially, they decide that they're going to travel together, even though Larry is worried that Joe is still going to try to kill him. Uh, and Joe's still not real fond of Larry. No, not at all. He but, hasn't done nothing. But both Larry and Nadine recognize that they will be stronger together than separate. And also, they just don't want to leave the child alone. That seems awful. Right. And Nadine, we get one really important character choice about Nadine. Is that we find out about how important she thinks, like, life is and how she won't murder. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, her one thing about the apocalypse. She just refuses to kill. So they end up going through, and the, it's they the three of them the traveling. They get to the ocean. They're sitting at the ocean. After they got to the, the – on their way to the ocean, Larry had picked up a 12-string Gibson guitar. And we have this really – I'm excited. This will be probably one of my favorite scenes, I think, uh, in the miniseries. As yeah. I'm sitting on the beach and then playing the guitar. Yeah, and then it's you know um, it's a beautiful humanistic moment, is, and music is, is always the like it's, it always just brings people together. You it know, and I think that's why Mother Abigail music. plays music as mm-hmm. well. Is it just it's the thing that brings people together, and probably why we don't see any music in the Las Vegas scene with uh, anybody yet. Like you know, yeah, yeah, because well, and music is just there's just something magical. About music, music and art are the things that bring people together. Yeah. So it makes sense that any society that's not about bringing people together would not have those things. Yeah. Uh, and they get to Stovington, or they get to Ogunquit, and then this is where we start to learn about... Oh, well, and while they're on the beach, that's where uh, they finally get Joe to give up the knife entirely. Because he, gives he them trades the, guitar. the knife for the guitar. Oh, yeah, we and... didn't even say that. Joe's a yeah. prodigy at the guitar. Oh, yeah. He just, like, the moment he watches Larry play the guitar, he picks it up from Larry and plays the song almost perfectly back to him. Exactly. And that's just... And, and even tries to... to say some of the lyrics say some of the words and and larry has this scene uh, there's this line he says that there's no way that you can like someone who loves the guitar or you 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 could hate someone someone who loves the guitar right and he's just like in that moment he had like such a kinship with joe yeah and i think it's like cute because later on nadine will talk about how she's jealous of it even Mm -hmm. and how like she's like i was a little jealous like how much you connected with him so quickly right and they head on their way to Ogunquit, and then they're in Ogunquit, and they find the sign. 
Yeah. Joe finds the sign. Mm-hmm. They were actually about to pass it, he said, too. Mm-hmm. So they go in, and I think one really fun part here was uh, Larry talks about how if they had left the paint upstairs, it would have, like, burned down the barn. Yep. And then earlier on, Franny specifically says, like, why did you bring the paint down? You could have just left it up there. And he's like, ah, I just figured it'd be safer this way. Yeah. And so it's just fun that, like, those that small insignificant choice 300 pages ago has an impact now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Steve does really well, in the, uh, especially in this novel so far. And... He finds, uh, we find out that some of the things that Harold had uh, up there in the top of the barn had carved his name in uh, with Franny's name and a little heart up there. And like, we just find out a little bit of things like about him that we didn't like mm-hmm. know on the surface, essentially from anyone else. Right. Then uh, Larry goes over and to the Honda dealership where they had taken their bikes. And you, right. you see more of this pretty much. Uh, we, sense we see of the, admiration. This, yeah, we see the admiration's really started, man. Harold Harold had it together. Harold left him a roadmap. They go to the, the motorcycle shop, and Harold's already been there because there are two bikes gone and another chocolate payday wrapper. Yep. And You're just really starting to feel like, wow, this Harold guy gets it. I need yeah. to find him, and he'll help. Right. And, he knows what he's doing. we got to follow him. And essentially, they decide to take their own bikes and he's going to teach Nadine how to ride a bike. So they're doing, they're riding their bikes and they need to uh, gas up and mm-hmm. supply. And to do that, they have to open an underground tank. And the right. underground tank is like a big hundred pound. Uh, like manhole cover. Manhole cover on it. And uh, to get it open, you have to push your. You had to pry it open. Pry, crowbar underneath mm-hmm. it, pry it open like, you know, half an inch and then get your fingers under there and pull as hard as you can. Um, but if you let the crowbar slip, that manhole's just going to slip right down on your fingers, fingers and you're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. So, in an attempt for Larry to gain Joe's trust, Larry asks Joe to use the crowbar to lift up the manhole cover while Larry tries to shove his fingers underneath of it. And there's even Joe can re- realizes that it's really important that like he could lose his fingers. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's really fun is that they've set this scene. After the guitar scene. Right. So it's established, like, Joe might not realize it yet, but he is going to care about Larry's fingers because he's going to want Larry to eventually show him more, like, Mm -hmm. fancy things on the guitar. And, like, he's probably also, at this point, now that he's connected so much with the guitar, he just sees Larry as that figure that he needed. Larry's his hero. And, And this is also the first thing that Joe says that's a recognizable word. You know, Larry says, good work, Joe. Um... Thank you for not letting the, the yeah, cover you, slip. And, and Joe responds, weak him. Yeah, he just, it's so cute. And it's yeah. just the, you get to see Larry, in no way does he gain anything from that. No. He's not taking anything from that. Like, in the same way he could ask Nadine for help and it would have been safer. He could have put a weight on top of that crowbar. But Larry is giving that trust to Joe now because he recognizes that he needs that it. he needs to. And, and that's a big it's step all, for It's Larry. really, and it's, it's a big step for Larry. The fact that like lifting up this little manhole cover in the middle of like all of this stuff can be such like an important, like establishing character choice that like means so much to like those two characters is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And that, I really liked that a lot. Yeah. Um, and like throughout the, there's not, too much more that happens in this chapter. No, That's the they, biggest they thing. To, they learn to... together and well, travel yeah, they, together. And... They establish a routine. You know, Nadine learns to ride the motorcycle. He finally has to come clean about who he was traveling with before because, you know, he's terrified of 
Nadine having a, an accident and him not being able to do anything about it. Right. And, you know, so he finally has to come clean that he was traveling with somebody before and what happened to her. Um, and then they move on. They just move on to... to they go towards Stovington, towards Stovington they like follow. the sign said. And they yeah. meet Lucy Swan. And she's not introduced for too long. She's just... Or she's in here for a minute. But her introduction is very quick and easy. And yeah, she's, it's just somebody that they picked up. She's alive. The she's, biggest thing that she does, though, is she tells us that the dreams aren't like a big isolated incident. Right. Because she comes in and she's the first one. It's like, have you guys been having weird dreams? Yeah. And so immediately it opens into that uh, thing. And then we hear that Joe has been having the dreams. Yep. And Joe has been having dreams that are, it seems, so much worse than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. He's terrified of these dreams all of the time. And uh, Well, and that's also where we find out that Nadine says, I don't dream. She refuses to acknowledge refuses that she has Refuses to them. acknowledge it. And and they, His, they both know that she's lying, but they don't, you know, they don't understand why, but they know she's lying. Mm-hmm. And they can just, it's, she's getting upset about it. She's starting to like fight and be defensive about it. And they just leave it and they stop talking about it. And Lucy and Nadine like connect about something off while they're out there. Um, and they get to Stovington and they find out that everyone is dead and there's nothing there. And then they right. find another sign. Yeah, and this sign is directions to Nebraska. Right, and you know another chocolate payday robber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the very end of it, Nadine faints, and it's interesting. Four hundred eighty. Mm-hmm. That's when this happens. Four eighty, right? Yeah. Chapter forty nine is on six forty. Yeah. So that's almost you know like one hundred sixty, one hundred seventy pages. That's when Nadine matters again. Yeah. So it's like. And when she matters again, it's so important. And it like literally blew my mind a little bit. The fact that like that's the last thing that it says. And then you just don't hear anything from Larry and Nadine again until like pretty much everybody's in Las Vegas or Boulder. Like their right. journeys are almost done well, now. Well, that that phase of their journey. Yeah. The first yeah. leg. So we get to 45 and this is. And, and, you know, it. this is really where are at the end of 44. Harold, my man, Larry murmured. I can't wait to shake your hand and buy you a beer. Or a payday. You know, Larry has really got a lot of respect for Harold at this point. He is going to be disappointed. (laughs) Well, I mean, but up to this point, what he knows about Harold are all of the positives. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's hard to leave your negatives, like, stain on the world unless it's really, truly a negative thing. Right, right. So. He's literary. Terrible. Yeah, he's a litter bug. (laughs) Um. I mean, it's the end of the world, but that doesn't mean you have to throw your trash on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we get into chapter 45, which is with Mother Abigail, Abby Freeman, as she is now known as her real name, turns out. She's 108 years old. She was born in 1882 with the birth certificate to prove it. Uh, but it is a very, very long chapter of exposition about uh, Mother Abigail. And to be honest, you don't need most of it. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting you know, and it adds I mean, to her as but... a person. But yeah, it, it makes her a fully realized person. But, you know, it talks about the fact that she's lived in the same place her entire life um, and that her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren have tried to give her modern um, upgrades to her home and mm-hmm. she has refused. So it, it goes to show that she's... She's had this voice talking to her since she was born about how she just needs to be she, prepared. Right, just needs to be prepared. And... and she is, because of her age and her refusal to, to let them bring out, 
you know, a modern toilet and all of these things, she's better equipped to deal with the end of the world than anybody else is because she doesn't miss the electricity and she doesn't miss the running water and she yep. doesn't miss those things because she's never really had those things. But my biggest thing is, is that as much as I like having all that exposition about Mother Abigail, I wish that they would have just had Nick and his cohorts show up sooner and then have Mother Abigail tell him these things. Like, yeah. don't just make them, like, nebulous things that exist in the world. Like, make them a part of the story for a reason. Yeah. Well, and, you know, they do, uh... Yeah, we probably don't need all of her backstory before everybody gets there. But mm -hmm. we do need to know that, you know, she knows. She's she's chosen. She's touched. She knows that she's got like company. she's felt that way since she she's a child. She's felt that way for a long time. And so she knows that she's got, um... Your company coming. So she gets her act together and she walks down to her neighbor's farm where they've got chickens and she takes the takes, chickens. Yeah, she kills three chickens because, you know, she's knows how to do all of those things. And so she um, she kills the chickens and she gets them in a bag. She gets them ready to go. And then she goes and lays down, takes a nap at her friend at her neighbor's house, and then gets on her way back home. And on her way back home is when we get this mm -hmm. really fun section where these weasels surround her right. and they try to attack her. And she's essentially like one by one surrounded by hundreds of little weasels just waiting to steal that bag of bloody chickens from her. Right. And she just stands up and she just yells like, these are for my company. Now you all get... And then it's a miracle, she thinks. You just get this sense of how she is to this side, what Randall Flagg is to the other side. Right, right. And she has that terror. She says terror engulfs her. There were hundreds of them now. They were sent by the dark man. She knows it. Mother Abigail got home, prepped a meal, like a feast. Um, Not every, everything ready for these people. And, right. and then eight people show up. So, I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah, uh, yeah but I mean... and. and you know, it's eight people who have been traveling and, you know, they're eating like soup on the side of the road and things like that. So coming into fried chicken and biscuits and all the trimmings, you know, they're, this is a very feast. happy. They're very happy yeah. to be there. And it's, we made uh, a bunch of people that have been traveling with Nick now and uh, this girl named Abby and uh, Dick and, and Olivia, Gina, Tom, or Tom has always been there. Ralph. Um, Ralph has been, he was introduced right at the end there. Um, and this is where you find out like how important Nick has become to everyone. He is their leader. He listens. They, everyone does exactly what Nick says. They follow his ideas. They do exactly what he thinks needs to be done. He's just kind of the prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's important to know that Dick, uh, Ellis is a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. So we have a medical professional. Now he's a veterinarian, but we finally have a medical professional and um, Gina had fallen and broken her leg and Dick was able to put her under general anesthesia and set her leg and put a cast on and it. Put a cast on it. So now this is our first real touchstone of Attempts society. Like a real survival. Yeah, uh, of, of the society reforming. You know, um, we, we have a doctor now. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because it's like we're getting all these little touches of it. But when we get into Las Vegas, they're already like halfway through to a society. Like, they're so far along. Uh, and 
we get this interesting scene uh, here where they try to like string up and uh slaughter a pig and mm-hmm. essentially we find out that abigail has and no matter how much strength that these young men have to be able to lift up the pig they don't have the strength to cut its throat and slaughter right. it so there's a difference in strength levels that well, is and, illuminated and in, a, in that scene and in a practical strength i mean abby mother abigail has done this mm-hmm. um you know which is another reason why it's important for all her backstory to establish that you know she's done these things it's not something that's um, new to her like all these right. different survival techniques are just her that's way of just life her way of it wasn't life. survival right. right you know and then that's when they make the plan that they uh well are... kind of she says to nick that we need to go to boulder and nick says mm-hmm. why this is where i've been like this is where we need to go and she says god tells us that we need to go here and this is right. where we find out that nick is an atheist he doesn't believe in god and right. like it's been hinted at a little bit but here's where he blatantly is like i don't believe in god and Mother Abigail's just like, oh, ha, 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 it doesn't matter. You know, the typical Christian answer is, you know. you believe, he believes. Mm-hmm. And and she says, this is what we got to do. And it's the next day is pretty much Nick out by himself contemplating about what he needs to do and whether or not if he should follow this woman who says God says to do this. And essentially he decides that he will put his faith in her and in her God. Right. And they decide that they're going to head to Colorado. They go and get a big CB radio, uh, so that way they can start broadcasting uh, the entire time that they're traveling to start mm-hmm. getting communications with people. And uh, they leave a sign in her yard yep. that says, "We're going to Colorado, and this is the area. This is the channel to look for." Right. Um, I like this a lot more because it's much less likely that somebody's going to follow you and like kill you now. Well, yeah, and you know. But they can get on the CB and talk to you and still find out where you are. And, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, and, you know, they they get a tow truck and a van. So that they, can every, all go so together. they can all go together. And they can move cars they can when they move need cars to. cars when they need to. And they say that they're going to take secondary roads. You know, they're really practical. Prepping. Yeah. Very practical about it. And uh, we get... These fun little moments, too, during all of this of just, like, interactions between, like, Tom and Gina playing with cars or, like, Abby mm-hmm. playing uh, the guitar. And, like, we have all of this, like, they're really Normal. starting to build, like, this their home, their homestead. Mm-hmm. And they take off towards Colorado. And Abby, right at the end of it, has just one final thought of the red eye opening in the dark of night. And she's scared. And right. I think that you were talking about her sense of terror that she always has. She's just... Yeah a realistic practical person in these mm-hmm. moments you know she's constantly scared because there's just a lot of things to be scared of well and you know he talks on and on about how she's never really gone anywhere mm-hmm. she's, she's never always really been, been in that anywhere. One area. that's always she's where she's always been and all of a sudden now she's leaving the place that she's lived for 108 years and going somewhere new and you know there's there's that's scary even without anything supernatural that's scary yeah. so and, uh, yeah, no, and it's just that, that and then going off to the mountains on the whims of just an old woman you randomly found in Nebraska from your dreams is yeah. not a necessarily I mean, comforting way to be going about your life right now. Right. Nick's pretty much put all of his faith that he's had in, like, this woman and, like, finding the next step of society into her. And she's saying, like, oh, now you have to take a bigger leap of faith. Mm-hmm. So for someone like Nick, who's been nothing but stilted his whole life. And, you know, he lost his parents. He's deaf mute. He had to be homeless for a good majority of his life. Like 
it's hard to believe that somebody out there just had these greater plans of positivity for him. Mm-hmm. And Mother Abigail sitting here saying, no, that's the, that's, that's, that's what it is. That's, that's what, what we got to do. do. Yeah. And just to just oppose that, we go right into chapter 46 of Stu, Harold, and Franny. And it goes from supernatural and fun and angelic to humany, just down in the earth, like yeah. dirty. Yeah. And, and, and they've accumulated a few more people. And um, I, I will say one thing, too, is I was hating the... Uh, I really dislike the romantic threads through this novel. It just feels unnecessary and unneeded. But I will say there is a lot to be said about, you know, struggling for that normalcy and romance. Well, and, and that human connection. And let's face it, somebody's got to repopulate the world. <laughs> I can, yeah, that's true. I just didn't expect it to be like the main focus of the stand. Yeah, and I don't... It doesn't seem like the right time for that I don't feel like it's the main focus, thread. but I do feel like it's These important. next two chapters, it is there the is, only focus. Yeah, there's a lot it of It is only about who chapters. Franny wants to bone. Who <laughs> Franny's trying to take to bed. Who she's trying to take down to that no. sweet, sweet creek. Yeah, Like, okay. that's but, all it's about. And it's also about hating on Harold. And it is... There's a lot of that. But, again, Franny's real young. And she is. And I think that, like, in the same way that... I mean, that's one of the reasons why this makes me so disappointed in Stu, but also, like, it's a hard situation. I will say, one of the hardest things that they do here is the way that they integrate Harold, like we were talking about, is they just constantly, like, I have this idea, but I need to get it approved by you, Harold. Mm -hmm. It gives him that sense of he's the one in charge, and that if they don't do that, then they're going behind his back. Right. And the only reason that they have to do that is because they don't want it to feel like he's going behind his back, but they've cultivated that sense. Yeah, and, and it's it's really a weird um, dynamic that they introduce here because Harold is the youngest person in this group, but they've given him this sense of power and this and so he has developed this arrogance, which you know, it's just a really And he started weird... carrying two pistols yeah. and he started to become he's telling people what to do less more and it's starting to get on some other people's nerves you can tell um but Stu and glenn are old enough and wise enough that they kind of sit in the back and like they're the advisors like mm-hmm. they're the ones that are really like taking charge of everything and making sure things are going well then they just let it, it pretty much go through their figurehead right and they start taking these uh what is it uh vernal Sominic, or vernal yeah um they end up, uh, they're taking these sleeping pills to stop with the dreams. But the whole point of it is that Franny is not because she's scared for her baby. She doesn't want right. the drugs to affect her baby. So she's going to be getting these dreams the whole time. Right. Um, and we can tell that these dreams are taking a toll on these people, too, because they're going to lengths to find drugs to disrupt the cycle so they don't right. have them as often. Uh, but they are still on the road towards Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And they have, uh, there's the two of them, then there's this new group, there's the group of them and then there's perry and mccarthy and mark braddock that have joined them mark is uh engineer or something like that right or no they were all they were all professors oh right right because they They talk about how they all have literal art degrees and they're like it's funny that (laughs) we all studied and none of us can actually do anything Stu's the only one that can and he doesn't even have a degree showing you that college doesn't actually mean anything and I think that was a fun, like, little, like, jab that Stephen King was trying to say about liberal arts degrees yeah, and, like, the that, that practicality of the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gets sick. That's what I was about to talk about, Stephen, getting the, with the appendectomy. The appendis- appendicitis. And mm-hmm. this is kind of the exact opposite of, you know, Nick's group where they have a veterinarian who's not necessarily a human medical doctor but has medical training. And so here are all these, these you know, 
educated, educated people in air quotes. Yeah. And appendicitis is something that, you know, they can take care of in a few minutes and you take some antibiotics and off you go. You know, they take your appendix out, they sew you up, off you go, no big deal, right? It's supposed to be an easy thing. It's supposed to be an easy thing. And here they are and they've got a a member of their group with appendicitis. And And, Well, what's interesting too is they don't know it's appendicitis. They are guessing guessing. because of what they kind of know about appendicitis. Mm -hmm. And it's just what they vaguely know from movies and media. It's the same thing if like... One of my friends fell down with appendicitis. I'm going to guess because I know like, oh, your tummy's hard and you're hurting here and like you're clutching it like this. I feel like I've seen this in a movie and it's appendicitis. But that's no. You know, but we have an ER to go to and, Mm -hmm. you know, here they are in the middle of Ohio and they don't have anywhere to go. So they have to do something. So during this now, too, is when uh, we start getting in Franny's diary. Mm Mm-hmm. She's and we are reading directly from her diary in these moments too, and she's mean to yes. Harold in these. She's insufferably snotty. She goes out of her way to just be like heartful, and I think it's her way of you know not doing it in like to his face so that way she can keep the peace and everything. Um, but she's. It goes back to that phrase, that scripture she had. You got to remove the moat from your mm-hmm. eye before you can judge someone else. And she still right. hasn't done that. And she's she still, still so concerned she's... with judging Harold that she isn't even thinking about how she's prioritizing the romance and like her and everything in the middle of the apocalypse. Yeah. Like there's her priorities are wrong. Her priorities are out of whack. The fact that she spends so much time just writing in her diary about her to crush in the middle of this is not practical. It doesn't make sense or do anything to further your cause Mm-mm. um we also you find know, out the saddest thing in the entire God, novel this is it's awful they decide to leave kojak behind and they're just like he'll figure it on out motorcycles and they feel like it wouldn't be safe to take kojak with them but oh my god that's awful mm. i cried yeah, it was really sad it was awful it was just so like casually mentioned but it wasn't a big deal it was a big loss yeah. um And through this, a lot of this, this chapter that we've been talking about, this is the one that goes with 47 where they get in the shootout is Mm -hmm. we're just finding out now is like what the day to day life is like. Yeah, it's really like Stephen has spent these last couple of chapters with Larry and Joe and everybody in this group just setting out like this is what everyday life is like now. Right. You know, you wake up, you go and try and find out where you're going to be going to next. And while you're going, you hope you find a store so you maybe get food and then you stop and you boil some water and Mm -hmm. it's constantly so now we're only getting it's just survival mm-hmm. now we're only getting stopped when like really weird out of the ordinary things mm-hmm. happen so a lot of them just seem out of place sometimes but it's because they just there's nothing else there and then or no this, they get to stovington is that what this part is and so when they get to stovington it talks about how they all went into the mm-hmm. hospital where Stu was being held and they find elder Mm-hmm. dead on the ground like and it was very obvious that he was murdered and bled out right and glenn after a few minutes comes to the conclusion that he was there to kill Stu, and they decide to not talk to Stu about it right. which is definitely the right move absolutely and and i mean it's just the fact that you were sitting there telling like and i mean she comes at it uh, later on and she says something about i was so ashamed that we didn't believe you i'm so ashamed that we like mm-hmm. told you you were a liar to your face and all of these things like we should have just not force you to go through this again. But, I mean, I think Stu's the type of reticent man that understands. Well, and I also think that it was important that they, um, I don't know, set Harold's mind at rest. 
Prove it and, to and him. Like, it show to that him. Harold, yeah, show, show that, Harold that he is not lying to them in any way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Stu's been up front with them from the beginning. And so, yeah. And I think one thing that's interesting, too, is uh, during all these little parts of Franny's diary, at the end of every section, there's this things to remember. And it's mm-hmm. just, like, things she wants to tell her baby about the old world and, like, these kind of right. things. And nothing in them is particularly interesting or important in any way. However, what's important is that as you go forward, she remembers less and less things, and she has less and less things to write down, and she has less and less cares about the rest, about the old world. About the old world. And slowly the things to remember just starts to be like, there's nothing to remember. Yeah. And I think that is interesting to watch that happen, but you you don't have to read it to see it, which is interesting to me. Um, Then they discover the appendix, and they... just pretty much they get into a big fight and they decide like are we going to do something or are we not going to do something and mark asks them to try so right, so they go off to the hospital and they gather up a bunch of stuff and Stu gets a scalpel and he uh puts sits down right next to him and cuts him open and they try to take the appendix out based on a book that they found at a doctor's office and some random utensils and yeah they're trying so hard and then out of nowhere Perry just says that he's dead yeah, stop I trying mean, I, but what did you expect? Like, there's right. the I best mean, of situation that could have happened is he died quicker. Right. And and they had to try, but, yeah, I mean, here we have a bunch of educated people, but they're not educated in the right things. Yeah. Um. um so after that, Mark passes away. Everybody just kind of leaves because they're all just heartbroken about it. And mm-hmm. Franny goes to bed, and the next night, Stu wakes her up, and Perry has killed herself from with the sleeping pills and i think what's interesting and important about this is that Stu goes to franny and franny becomes his confidant yeah and then you know it's not she he hasn't told anyone else yet he comes directly to her wakes her up and like confides in her and like needs reassurance from her Mm -hmm. um so it's there's a turning point for Stu and franny now right it's almost to throw everything to the wind they're starting to not care about keeping the peace anymore and then we get into quite literally an entire chapter about what, uh, like, just some really, like... About the horrible things that Franny writes in her diary. Yeah. And about just, Harold. And it's weirdly, because, like, she's just trying to justify how mean she is to him in her diary at the same time while also being just mean. But also, like, she is, like, kind of in love with him. Yeah, I mean, it's, this very... it's really a weird, a weird dynamic between her and Harold. You know, Harold is her touch point from the old world. The before uh, Captain Tripp's world. But at the same time, you know, she has, she's never had a real positive image of him. And he has reinforced that by just being a shit. I mean, he's an arrogant jerk and... It's not. It's just not good. It's and not good. I mean, nobody deserves to be treated bad. But, no. You know. And I think that that's really what this chapter does. It just sets the tone for, like, where their lives are at and, like, mm-hmm. what their relationships are right now. We also get the first time where she learns of Mother Abigail's name. Yes. And we also find out that Stu has been uh, dreaming of Mother Abigail, but not Harold. He's only been having the dark man dreams. Yep. And I think that's pretty that's telling. And now we get into chapter 47, which is almost a continuation of 46, but yeah. it's um, it's a big time jump and motif skip. It's it's a it's just a different section. That's yeah. why it's yeah. A we jump a couple here. weeks ahead. And 
out of nowhere, they come around the corner and there is a semi truck on its side. And there's like a dozen people around the semi truck and they all come to a slowly to a halt. And then these men pull up their guns and they say, get off your uh, motorcycles. And it essentially comes down to. uh, And then uh, what's interesting here is Stu is sitting there on his motorcycle assessing the situation. And then he looks over and uh, he looks at one of the girls and he realizes that this situation is bad. Yeah. And there's this yeah. distinct moment where Stu realizes it. And in, uh, in later on, he says he gets wise. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. And he immediately has his gun in his hand and he drops down behind the uh, um, motorcycle to like take cover. And they, it's a big shootout in this moment. It is moment. a big shootout. And it's it's. Yeah. And the oh, the group of people that they come up on, I feel like we should say this is four, four men, men and eight and women. Eight women. Yeah. And the only, and Franny just keeps saying like this doesn't make sense like that's not like that equation doesn't make sense something 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 and all of the women uh, one of the girls screams now right. and then the girls start to attack the men who have trained their rifles on uh, our group that are just shown up right so now they're in the middle of this big shootout with all of these girls attacking like what we can now assume are captors their captors right and. Uh, Stu, uh, it seems like Stu gets shot, but he just gets thrown. He just actually is diving behind his motorcycle mm-hmm. for cover. Um, Harold pulls out both of his pistols and he doesn't even get for cover. He just starts shooting, um, which is interesting to me because I think that like, it's interesting that he is able to avoid death in these moments. Yeah. And I mean, it, it I think is another place that kind of reinforces how young young and inexperienced he is because you know he he comes out shooting like a cowboy that he would have seen on tv instead mm. of like and he misses every shot when yeah. he finally hits someone he uh jumps up and down and starts like screaming uh just so excited and happy it's to the point where like it it gives you that sense of the uh the soldier in the army that's way too excited to shoot mm-hmm. his gun and you're just a little nervous about it and it gets to that point, too, where they're all kind of a little nervous about Harold because he's just talking. We had to kill him. We had to take them all out and we had right. to get them. And the girls, the captors there, are, they confirm it. They pretty much say, yes, you you did, but you didn't have to, you know. You didn't have to be so excited about it. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be a good thing that you just did the murder. And it implies heavily that there's sexual pleasure from Harold in the, like yes. the pain and the murder and the gun and shoot. The gun shoot shots and and just that is not usually a great sign. Um, and a lot of it is just them from that point on, just trying to get him to calm down and just yeah. reel him in a little bit as they meet these new characters. And we are introduced to Dana, Susan, Patty, and Shirley. Right. Um, and we find out that these four men had essentially kidnapped each one of them and got them addicted to pills and kept them around for sexual favors. And Mm -hmm. as they would find another woman, they They would would execute one of them and replace them. Yeah. Um, And they'd been doing this for since almost the second or third day after the super flu. And it's been going for a while. And they started, they were calling it the zoo and uh, Stu. Yeah. Which Glenn had talked about that there would be, there's going to be people like that factions too. And so, uh, Stu ends up asking about who they were and like which one was which and everything and like we get this sense that Stu is he just is in the protector role now. Yeah. He's, he will be out there protecting whoever needs help now. He's definitely becoming 
And I think it's interesting that uh, Franny just keeps calling him the Lone Ranger, too, because the yeah. Lone Ranger is almost a supernatural superhero mm-hmm. of a Texan. So, of course, like her Lone Ranger is a superhero Texan that shoots and helps and saves her and stuff. And oh, and uh, so now we get into the next big section of Franny's diary. And on this one is when she's sitting there alone with Harold at a fire and he tries to kiss her. Mm-hmm. And she ends up falling backwards off a log and they get into a big argument. And she says, no one owns me, Harold. And he says, I, you may have to change that idea. Mm-hmm. And he goes off on this big rant about how Stu's just uh, the popular guy in school that's just trying to be with the prettiest cheerleader. And like uh, he doesn't even care about her as a person and blah, 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 blah. And he storms off. And this is the one where we get where Franny just doesn't have the energy to remember things from before right. anymore. And Franny just shuts him down. And it is straight up, I don't love you, Harold. I'm not interested in you. And the first and thing I, that yeah. And I don't want to have anything to do with you in that way. way. And Harold's just like, it's Stu Redman, isn't it? Just the idea that, like, a woman could just not be interested in him. And it has to be another reason, like another man. Exactly. It just doesn't pass well, his and, mind. And he... He projects onto Stu the thing that has happened to him his whole life. He projects onto Stu that, you know, he's the teacher's pet and the, the teachers all pass him just so he can keep playing football. And, you know, the, he so he, he, he makes Stu the guys that have picked on him and given him all the hell for all the gears. And... You know, Stu has not done that to him. Stu has tried to be respectful of him and respectful of his opinions. And yeah, so Stu liked Franny from the beginning, but that doesn't mean that there was necessarily anything malicious about that. It just means that they connected in a different way. And Harold takes it all super personally. And she's in this while she's retelling the story. Like she... Just makes these little snide jokes about how he looks like Donald Duck or he sounds like this or his fat mm. butt waddled off or like all these little like snide, snide. comments. Yeah. yeah. So she's not kind to him, but she at least is trying to do it in what she assumes is a private way. She's like, I've got to vent somewhere. I'm going to, so I'm going to vent to my diary right. and that's just for me and nobody else needs to see this and I'm going to keep up a good front on the outside, but oh my God, he's acting like a turd. Right. So, and then Franny goes up to the rock. Uh, we had a nice time break here, and Franny goes up to uh, Stu, who is out on his own way and uh, sitting on a rock somewhere. And they essentially consummate their relationship that they've been hinting at towards this whole time. And this is the first time Stu tells us about these uh, crucifixions that he's been having dreams of. Yep. So we know that these dreams are getting so much more intense. And I also think it's interesting that Stu's been having so many more like dreams about the dark man. Mm-hmm. Um, and they end up uh, making love out there on that rock. And uh, they're both super into it. And they're both super happy about it. And they say they love each other. And then she tells him that she's pregnant. And that she hasn't told anybody. And it's pretty much just their secret now. And that she's due in January. And he doesn't literally... I think it's interesting because he doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't say he's going to help. He doesn't do anything. They just make love again. And they we find out that Harold is watching them in the shadows the whole time. So he's been there probably since the, she probably, he probably followed her out there. Probably. Yeah. And that's what it, and so Harold's just been watching that. And it just confirmed in his mind, it confirmed all the things that he thought of, you know? Yep. And then she writes in her diary about how she's so happy that she's with, uh, 
her Lone Ranger. She's with Stu. And well, then... no, no, the secret of her Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger is the baby. Oh. He's agreed to keep the secret of my Lone Ranger as long that as That makes more sense. So yeah. then, uh, and she decides, uh, during this, they she talks about uh, Harold and how he doesn't suspect a thing and how he doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the very last bit of this is Franny getting up or not for any a herald getting up in the middle of the night while everyone's sleeping sneaking over to her diary or over to her tent and getting her diary out right and he reads through it and pretty much he has these moments here where he's talking about like this is who i used to be and this is like who i'm trying not to be and everything but he doesn't stop himself he still goes through with it and it is a really good juxtaposition of those Larry that we've been seeing. You yeah. know, he knows the bad thing to do, and he's trying to not do it now. Right, and Harold Whereas is like leaning nope, into these. He's going to lean into it. Because... You know, the moment he had a chance to start shooting at people, he didn't hesitate. It was an immediate shot. Stu at least like stopped and tried to assess the situation before he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harold and Harold puts on this act. He he reads the whole diary, and then literally the most important thing I think is here. He says he took he put it back in uh, in an hour before dawn. He replaced the diary in Fran's pack and secured the buckles. He took no special precautions. If she woke, he thought coldly, he would kill her and then run. Run where? West. But he would not stop in Nebraska or even in Colorado. Oh no. And then it goes on to explain that uh, he's not having he's having dreams of the red eye beckoning mm-hmm. him west now. Well, he's at this point, he's along for the ride and he's giving the impression that, you know, he's not going to stop with them wherever they stop in Nebraska or yeah, Boulder or it is. That he's, is pretty he's much, just gonna, he's going to keep going. He's just going to keep going. And, and, but and I don't he's, think it's in but he's to also, team up with Flag or anything. At but this he's moment. also going to play along. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's going to he's going to go along and he's going to be cheerful and he's going to do the things and then. And it starts at the very last uh, page of this is the, that night Harold began his own journal. And this right. is the last time we'll hear from them in this section, but I'm really excited to hear read his journal now. Yeah. Like, it's going to be really interesting to see, like, that opposite side of it. Yeah. And then... And then we've got a whole lot of pages of the Trash Can Man. And, and you know, we don't really need to go into all of his details. The kid is one of the worst villains I've ever read about. Oh, yeah, he's uh, he's awful. terrible, he's terrible. terrible. So, like, it's really interesting. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot more uh, biblical storytelling through this as well. Um, but we're going to just jump right into, like, right at the end when he finally gets to Las Vegas and we see Lloyd again. Because that is the most, like, that part forward, like, the stuff that happens in Las Vegas is, like, I think what's important about this section. Yeah. And, like, it's important, the kid stuff is important yeah, to, well, like... Yeah, well, and it, it's important to establish that... The power of Randall Flagg. The Flag. power of a flag, because, you know, the kid abuses Trash Can Man and, real bad, and... Um, they get to the Eisenhower Tunnel, and the kid doesn't want to abandon his car, so uh, Trash Can Man tries to find a way through that they can take his car. And when he gets back, um, you know, the kid is, is going to kill him, and instead, Randall Flagg sends, sends the, the a wolves, legion of wolves to and... take care of the kid and to lead Trash Can Man through the tunnel and and on to... And it is a really nice moment where you do, like, understand the power of, like, working through someone like that. Mm. It very clearly tells us that he is terrified of that tunnel. He doesn't want to go yes. alone. He doesn't want to go through it. And he can't. It is un- impossible for him. 
until the wolf the helps wolf him. Helps until him, he right. has the power of Randall Flag, until he has that mm-hmm. protector, that guardian with him, then he's able to do it. Yeah. And he makes his way through and he almost dies of dehydration through the desert until he finally gets to Las Vegas. And he's been calling it Cibola the whole time. Right. But now we know that he's going to Las Vegas and that Randall Flag has been installed in Vegas. And when he gets to Vegas, he goes to the MGM Grand Hotel and he gets inside and he passes out. And that's when we first see Lloyd again. Mm-hmm. And Lloyd says, don't touch him. He's special, the flag. And we kind of get a little zoom out of this. And now we find out that they're set up in Las Vegas. Lloyd's kind of in charge. Right. And he's got that special stone, the mm-hmm. black the jet stone with the red flaw in it. That was and the magic key. The magic the key eye. and everything. And, yes. and it's the... It's pretty much the thing that makes everyone listen to Lloyd. Lloyd's the de facto person in charge here. Mm -hmm. And they have their own society going, you know? They have food stuff. Uh, The generators in Vegas didn't go out. Mm -hmm. They still have the um, freezers and everything fully stocked from all of the casinos and hotels and everything. And it makes sense. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, Vegas would probably be popping. And we find out they've got a couple hundred people here. And they're up at the dam trying to get it fixed so that way they can get permanent power, water power back to everything. Yep. And he, there's these really good moments where a trash can man uh, wakes up the next day and they're like, this is, he's just trying to find Randall Flagg. And they're like, calm down. You don't want to meet him yet. Like, let's just get you worked into everything. And they go to have breakfast. And there's this sense of family and togetherness that the trash man man has never felt before. Right. There's an acceptance and they they just take him for who he is and they... And there's his these, name's Trash Can Man. The the old part of him is gone. No and one ever questions it. No one right. laughs at his name. They never nope. like do anything. It's just immediately accepted and they belonging. just feed him and accept him and you get him some clothes and put him in a hotel suite. And, and then the next day he gets sent up to the Boulder Dam, uh, and he is in charge. He's trying to uh, help fix it. And wrapping copper wire so that way they can get uh, electricity. And everyone's doing it. And he talks about how he's just assuming that everybody's really excited about it because they love working for Randall and they love doing these things. Mm -hmm. But then the next day when they get back, they find out that it's actually a much harsher rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. They're out at the dam and Randall Flagg ends up calling every single person back to Las Vegas, back to their settlement. And as they do, they find out that one of the men that we had just been introduced to the last page before, his name's Hector, Hector Drogan. He'd been using cocaine. Mm -hmm. And so we find out that the rules in this settlement are harsh. Right. And he is immediately executed by crucifixion uh, because of his drug use. His drug use, yeah. And yeah, Randall Flagg does not play games. And even though this is the, the bad guy camp, you know, there's no excessive drinking, there's no drugs, there's no, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you have to live by the rules or, you know, because if you, and or they, you were made an example of. And they talk about how if you're uh, on drugs or if you're drunk, you just, that takes away from the amount of value that you can add to the society that they're mm-hmm. building. So they, you have to stay sober so that way you can add more. Right. And we end up uh, seeing all of this. Well, this is what's really good about this section. This is why, like, even if you were to cut out most of this chapter, you have to keep this yes. section. Is because seeing it all through Trash Can Man's eyes and seeing the way that he slowly accepts it because he wants to finally belong somewhere. Right. And I can imagine that he's not the only person in this society that feels that way. That right. didn't feel like they belonged anywhere else. And they finally, like, yes, the rules are harsh and they're stringent, but... If it's a very strict guideline of what I need to do and I'm accepted for being myself Mm -hmm. outside of that, then I can see a lot of people being very grateful for that. Right. And he 
fully buys into it and to the point where he's about to not do it and then lloyd comes up to him and lloyd hands him a special rock too Mm -hmm. and it's jet like he has but it also has a red flaw in it and lloyd is the only one we've seen so far that has this special rock so knowing that trashy is also about to have it is really special too Mm -hmm. they crucify heck um, one really interesting thing that I liked about this is the way that Randall Flagg seems to be setting up society, and he calls himself uh, the leader of the people and the first citizen. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting title. It is. Because it implies very heavily that he wants to set up a society similar to what, not maybe not similar, but he there is a society end game in mind, mm-hmm. and he is yeah. going to be the, in charge of it. he's going to be in charge of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Randall Flagg by name. And I feel like Randall Flagg by name is just kind of helping us, like, that's just what they call him. Yeah. You know? It is. And that's pretty much where we ended at uh, in that chapter because we get this small, just literally a page and a half where Lloyd comes down to Trashy and he says, Flagg's ready to see you now. Yeah. And Trash Can Man is ecstatically excited. Yeah. Because, you know, he knows that he's, he's been, this yeah, is the man that is, saved his life. This is what he's dreaming about. This dreaming is what's about kept him alive. And... and sent the wolves to help him get there. Mm-hmm. And Randall Flagg just says, I've got some things for you to burn down. We're going to, it's going to be great. And yeah. I really love the very last thing of this is, and in the end, the burning was very great. And I really feel like if you take this chapter out, you, you make it, like, another 70 pages long with a little bit more of a coherent plot line. Like, it could have been its own novella. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Just, it, like, absolutely. a thing that you add in with the stand. Mm-hmm. Like, a side story of it. There's so many of these moments here that, like, you could take it out and flesh it out. And it would be it just would be a, a fun little, story. like, thing. A stand-alone story. A stand-alone story. story that is, you know, adjacent. <laughs> yeah. Like, Dark Tower adjacent. Yeah. Um, And now we get into this chapter, which is the one I'm... Uh, um, this... Lucy stuff is interesting and it's cool, but it's really just to catch us up on what's been happening. Yes. So we get in chapter 49, which is uh, from, it's about our boy Larry's group. Yeah. And he's, like they said, they've picked up almost 30 or 40 people now at this point. They have a judge, uh, oh, 19 of them. There are 19 of them now. 19 of them, yeah. 15 adults, three children, and Joe. I like how Joe is just his own separate entity. Well, yeah, because, you know. He's Joe. He's he's perfect. And, uh... We hear from Lucy everything that's been happening up to this point and about how Larry's really, he's taken on more of a protector role himself, just like Stu has. Mm-hmm. He's starting to really get, um, the big thing that we're learning here is Larry's starting to really blame himself for people dying. Yeah. And it's well, starting and to I be, that, in his mind, his fault. And I think that this is important because Larry has been put in this role of leadership and, and has this specific power but he, it wasn't something that he was looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to, and, and kind of the same with Stu. You know, the people who have been put in this leadership role that weren't looking for it. And there's something about people who are in power because they want to be there. And people who are in power just because that's where they end up. And the different dynamic that that causes mm-hmm. in how they, how they do things and how they perceive things. When the when the expanded edition came out in 1990, uh, Reagan had been president from. So that Reagan line is probably an addition he added in the 90s, or um, an edit that he made. Because um, I mean, it, yeah, it just seemed I like actually, he really went out of his way to list and, like five presidents. Yeah, I actually went back and looked, and the um, uh, abridged version of this that was originally released in 1978 was actually set in 1985. 
Okay. So he did make some edits to to make it a little more current to when he re-released That's interesting. It, he made but, like put it five years later. Too. Yeah. So, huh. and it's weird because there are some things that he updated and then other things that he didn't. And so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but, but yeah. So anyway, yes, that would have been expanded. That would have been part of the updates. And, uh, I think that adds a lot to it too. Just, mm-hmm. you know, keeping it timely. Yeah. So we end up getting, uh, Larry's been sitting out here and Lucy comes out to talk to him. And this is where we find out that Lucy and Larry have been having a little affair while Larry's been very head over heels in love with Nadine. And we find out a lot about, not a lot about Nadine, but we find out what she looks like from an outside point of view. Mm-hmm. Like we find out that she just is a weirdo and she's antisocial. She's not really trying to like be a part of the group, it seems. Right. She's she's along for the ride, but she's not trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. And she just refuses to talk about her dreams and mm-hmm. everything. And everyone else in this entire group has these dreams now. Right. This nineteen group per nineteen person group has these dreams, and Nadine insists that she doesn't. Right, that she's not having any. And so people are just kind of spooked about that, and it doesn't make sense to them because they're also hearing her talk in her sleep and wake them up. Right. And this whole chapter is just building to essentially let us know that Larry is in love with someone who's not telling us everything like nadine is keeping stuff from everyone and and larry is in love with the idea of nadine i don't i don't know and 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 it's probably because she was the first person that he met after rita rita and i mean there's not necessarily that but I, i really think that that is part of it and that larry is really in love with the idea of her but he also loves Lucy. Lucy in a more practical Platonic way, a realistic well, I, I, I think way, a, a realistic, more practical way. It's like almost a subtly way, like a subtle, yeah. like for someone kind of way. Um, during all this too is when uh, Nadine's hair starts turning white, white. Mm-hmm. It starts to completely like all of the black is leaving it, and we get this fun little foreshadowing moment where Lucy tells this story about this girl she knew in high school. And the reason that this girl wouldn't, like, be flirty and, like, wouldn't go out with other guys and stuff is because she had this uh, boyfriend at another school or another thing. And she would con- he would constantly be like, if I ever find you doing anything, I'll kill you. Yeah. And so that's when Lucy says is she's probably act like that because her husband isn't around anymore and he used to be that way. He right. used to have that jealous aggressiveness in him. And... Lucy, and it's just a small little thing, and we find out later, like, oh, yeah, she just got the yeah, biggest jealous well, acts. And, and it gives you some insight into how perceptive Lucy is. Mm-hmm. And she's really, like, she doesn't, she's not jealous or anything about Nadine. She just feels sorry for Nadine. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a very interesting, Lucy's a good character so far. She's she been is. a really like interesting uh, foil for Larry to mm-hmm. learn a lot off of. Um. And they have a cute little, like, oh, 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 moment. And then she just says, whatever, you just want to keep chasing her, go for it. I guess I'll be here to do the horizontal bop when the sun goes down. Right. And, you know, she doesn't necessarily like it, but she accepts that she's not his first choice. Yeah. And they end up But she also doesn't want to be alone. Yeah. And neither does he. And neither does he. So, yeah, that's that's the whole thing. So they'd rather do that than anything else right so they end up going back to and they uh, make love and they sleep and then we get into the very last part of this chapter and it's mind-blowing 
and we find out about Nadine. And Nadine start. We start off this chapter and find out that she was her family was killed as an accident when she was six. But then we get into these really like weird symbolic moments of her running down the road and not being able to be seen by her bridegroom and having to like escape him. And like when she was sixteen, if she didn't run fast enough, she would have been got. Um, and then when she was sixteen, that's when her hair starts turning white. Um, but essentially, her entire life in that moment, she found out that she had to. She went through she, a metamorphosis, and she's and determined that for whatever reason, she had to save herself. She, she had was to wait, be, and, and she. It almost sounds like she thinks she's being prepared for someone. Yeah. And uh, she just has this image of a dark man, an American man, a taste of milk and apple pie and a homely beauty of red cheek and gingham. And he is the walking dude, the other man, the walking dude. And she knows that that is her bridegroom. So she's had this sense since she was 16 when she first ran into him that she will one day be married to him and that she needed to save herself yep. for him. She needs to be unbroken and waiting. Yep. And now, after the super flu, Randall Flagg has started to call to her. Yes. And that's why she refuses to acknowledge the dreams. That's why she dreams. refuses to acknowledge the dreams. Because they're just going to be so different from everyone else's. And the, the thing that, biggest thing that we find out is that she wants to be with Randall Flagg, too. Well, but she's also torn because she wants to not be. She wants to not be with Randall Flagg, but it's not because she wants to be with Larry. Right. She just right. wants she just, to not be she, with Randall Flagg because But of, she can't she can't bring herself to soil herself to not be with him. But she knows that if she does, that he wouldn't want her. And but she's she's just torn. She's just brainwashed. And she talks about all these times where she tried to lose her virginity. And every time she did, her white streak would get longer. Or if she did like these things and and she wouldn't be able to do it. She wouldn't be able to carry through. But when she did, she would be able to just, she would essentially like wake up in like having these weird dark sexual fantasies of someone like Mm -hmm. pretty much having sex with her without her like being there with someone. And she just talks about these waves of uh, orgasm ecstasy, like coming over and over again and. You just have this sense of her, she's for someone else. Right. And she feels that way. And Yeah, she does. But she's also, she says, you know, Boulder was her last hope. The old woman was her last hope. You know, she, she knows her fate has been kind of set. But she also thinks that she may be able to break free from it. And I think this really informs us, too, about at the beginning when she meets Larry, she talks about how we have to follow him. He'll lead us to people. Mm -hmm. And there's these small little moments where she's just trying to just say other people and like all these things. And you do get this sense of how torn she is because she knows that she's going to have to abandon Joe and Larry and all of these things. Right. Um, But she's also getting jealous because of Larry and Joe's relationship and how much it doesn't feel like Larry... Or Joe need her. They need each other now. They need now. each other now. Yeah. And, you know, she saved Joe and and she saved Larry and neither one of them need her now. So and she's slowly disconnected. She's revealing that Randall Flagg is not a stranger to her. Mm-hmm. She knows his name. She knows what he looks like. She knows where he is. And she knows when she's going to see him. Right. In April or May. So we know that, like, they're going to go through the winter in Boulder, and then next spring, summer is when they're going to be going. That's what she expects, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she just 
almost refuses to make a decision, it seems, until she is in Boulder. Right. And she's so scared, it does seem like she has this sense of if she did give in to Larry, that she would be able to resist the dark man. Mm-hmm. But she she almost gives this little bit of worry for Larry, like what would happen to him. Right. And that's where I stopped reading because I thought we were supposed to. But So I'm glad that we did. I think that like the next uh, yeah, chapter Yeah, I think the next chapter into... is really important in the next section so i feel like it it'll be good there and that is that's the 300 pages we read that oh, wow that is there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. happen and okay so i think like the biggest thing that jumps out is like that nadine twist is amazing like that's so good that's mm-hmm. so interesting and it makes it we were talking about this on the way over here but like i was just starting to get disinterested at that moment i was starting to like kind of fall out because that trash can section is so, so long, long and yeah. so disjointed and like uh, honestly it's just poorly written i don't like it and and excessive i don't feel like it was necessary and when stephen king's at the beginning says that some of this may seem masturbatory that was that section yeah (laughs) and i think that like if you had taken the time if if it was its own standalone thing Mm -hmm. like uh, the journey of the trash can man that would be interesting and cool and i would have liked that a lot but it's not it's something that he shoehorns in to the middle of something that's already obscenely long yes uh i think it's setting up these teams a lot different, more different than I expected now, too. Because right. I really feel like Harold... I almost wish we'd have made the list at the beginning I know, of this and then section seen it, and then seen. And then seen. But I really feel like Harold and Glenn are probably going to end up on that dark side, too. I think Nadine's going to end up being a good person. I think she will end up, like, picking Larry. I hope, at least. I think she will. I think that that's just going to be the end up being the power of, like, Larry's character arc. Okay. And, like, the magnetism of him changing into a better human and showing her that, like, you may feel like your fate is this, but it doesn't have to be if you right. change it. Okay. Um, Franny will continue to be uh, a 16-year-old girl looking for love in the middle of the apocalypse for some reason, and that's disappointing. Harold's going to turn evil. There's no way around it at this point. Like, man, it's either he's going to turn evil or he's going to meet Larry and realize that, like, Okay, I can just not be such an awful person. I think Larry is going to be like either his main. He's going to be his main catalyst. Like they are the two that like that's his. That's Romeo and Tybalt for me. You know okay. what I mean? Like that. Those are the two that are like destined to clash. Okay. And especially the way that they set up Larry, like having that image of Harold. Yeah. And there's no way Harold can live up to the image yeah. that oh, yeah, Larry no, has created. No way. Uh, and most likely, I imagine, like you know, it's going to really piss him off too is Larry's going to eventually meet that group and assume that Stu is Harold. And then could you imagine the anger Harold would feel if he assumed that Stu was the one doing all of those ideas for that group? Yeah, that would be... It would not go well. And I think there's just so many people now, too, that we know, Nadine and Harold, that they're not planning on stopping in Boulder. They're going to keep going. Right. So I wonder if they're going to form their own little cohort and, like, go out towards Vegas together and... What's going to happen there? I'm also really interested to see if the whole point is to, like, you know, eventually have, like, this sword fight, I guess, on the cover or whatever this is. Like, where are they going to build it all up to? And, like, why are they, like, where is it all going to be? Like, what is the goal for each side? Right. Like, is I know the we're goal is to, like, there. be, like, in charge of it. But, right. like, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. And I think, like, I'm really starting to see what you meant when we were talking about earlier about 
if we find out about the super flu. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, the super flu doesn't really matter anymore. Nope. Like, and it's interesting to me because it's like, I really expected this to be like a novel about the super flu, but like 400 pages in, it doesn't matter anymore. Right, yeah. The super flu is like the just the thing that caused this. The super flu is the this. thing that caused this, but it, it's not integral to the end of the story. It's mm-hmm. just what made it so that this... And it's, it's bad. I think that's why it's so much... I think that's why there's such an allegory to it and like the flood mm-hmm. and the cleansing fire is because yeah. there's not supposed to be a reason or a rhyme for it, but it happened because it needed to happen for these things. Yes. So I guess there is a reason or a rhyme for it. There's no reason for why it happened, but there's a reason for like, well, no. the, the results were necessary. The results are necessary for these things to happen. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. What yeah, else could so... we speculate about? I don't know if Franny's going to give birth to the Antichrist anymore. I think that, her baby has just kind of been like an important plot point to just show her handicap, I guess, at this point now. I was really expecting it more out of it. But I feel like if it's going to... Oh, man, I just realized if it's going to give birth in January and like we're not going to get to the final battle until May or April, like we're going to have a baby in the mix then, too. Yeah. We're also hopefully we'll have that vet by then or maybe Franny will die and send Stu into the chaos. There's a lot of things There's that could happen. Things and that could happen. We yeah. only have two more episodes or three more three episodes, episodes after this after one. This. Um, so make sure you come back next week for chapters 50 through 60, since we stopped one we'll early one tonight. extra this time. Yeah, so it's we'll another go, giant it section. It is another giant section, another 300 pages. So um, a just, lot is going to happen. Um, last section, uh, just final thoughts. I think uh, it did need some edits. I'm very the book the story itself is really great so far. It's really interesting. The character development is sublime. I understand why people like adore the character development in this mm-hmm. novel. It's really good. It is really good. Um and I just wish that there was more interaction. Like I wish that it was less like exposition. I wish that it was less of the narrator telling me more of exposition mm-hmm. and more of the characters telling each other exposition. Yeah, and and I think that you're going to find in the next section that because right they start now, to meet everything each other. is still so fragmented. Right. You know, we've got a group of, you know, 10 here and 20 there and 30 there and 50 re- and, and I'm excited, too, because I feel like we're going to start seeing these different sections, not just from, like, scattered seven different points of view. It's going to mm-hmm. be, like, here's Lloyd's group, here's Larry's group, and, like, right. back and forth like that. Well, I guess Lloyd and Nick. Nick's going to end up. I, Nick's definitely going to end even when Larry and Stu and everyone's there. I think Nick's going to end up still being the, the de facto leader just because Nick's already got the people following him. He does, and he's got a connection to Mother Abigail because he was the first one to get to her, and so she's also the one. He was the one that Mother Abigail was waiting for. Yeah, very clearly, she says that too. Yeah, she so does say that. So there's a lot of prophecy there's behind a lot. Nick Andros. There is. And yeah. thank you so much for listening. My name is Autumn Mullins, and this has been my first time through. And I'm Kim Payne. We hope you enjoyed your first time through. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash firsttimethrough to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions, was created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins, editing by Otto Mullins, music by Jason Rager, art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.